Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. We have with us today Enneagram 9, Emily Wingfield. And Emily is a certified Enneagram teacher, and she's a coach. The topic that she picked to talk to us about is the power of embodiment for all of the nine types. And today on the podcast, we're particularly looking at how embodiment and somatic practices can really help a type eight and nine. So thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you uh, being here to listen and learn about the Enneagram. Let's dive in. Well, welcome, Emily, to Enneagram Plus Yoga. Hi there. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So we we thought we'd start out with a really fun question. Um, So tell us the story of finding your dog, Cookie. And then a second question, how has Cookie helped to heal parts of you? And before you answer, I just got to tell you, I love the name Cookie. My daughter's best friend name dog is cookie and i've always said this is the best dog name so is your cookie a boy or a girl uh, our cookie is a girl you see his is a boy which i thought was brilliant that's what's perfect it could be pretty yes yeah but cookie cookie is a name for a dog cookie is a name for anybody <laughs> but i saw that i'm like oh she has a cookie too <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yes, Cookie is a black and white English Springer Spaniel. And oh. um, funny enough, I wanted to name her Pepper because she has black and white or black dots on her. Uh, my boys wanted to name her Oreo. And my husband was like, just let the, so this was actually a non-nine move is my husband said, just let the kids name the dog. It's, it, you know, they're kids, it's a dog. And I got a little feisty. I said, we all know who's going to take care of this dog. And it's me. I said, I want to get to name the dog because I'm the one that's going to be taking care of it all the time. So <laughs> we actually ended up compromising on Cookie because both Oreo, she looks Oreo and uh, cookies and cream ice cream. So that's how we came up with her name. Oh, cute. I love that. And I love that you spoke up as a nine and you were feisty. And I, I just think that that's a nine in a healthy place. So not Although always accommodating. I, then I did end up compromising. So I'm not quite yeah. sure. That. Well, yeah, but it, it was like negotiating instead of just, you know, acquiescing. So. Good. That's a little better. Yes. <laughs> Did you Which, end up uh, taking care of the dog? Oh, I take care of her about no. 95, 95% of the time. Um, <laughs> in fact, actually, prior to really standing up for myself and saying, you know, I don't want to name her Oreo, I actually said, okay, well, y'all can call her Oreo and I'll just call her Pepper, which like I would talk about kind of like being passive aggressively stubborn. I was like, well, I'm just going to call her the name I want to call her. And then we all agreed like, okay, that's not going to go over well. So that's why we ended up compromising on Cookie. <laughs> well, I love it. How old is Cookie? Uh, Cookie is two and a half now. But oh. back to Christy's question, she um, ran away when I was out on a nature trail with her. Um, probably a year, a year and a half ago. And uh, it was very interesting to notice myself. Um, I got very focused about finding her. Like I did not shed one tear. I got, um, well, as y'all know, but for the listeners as well, you know, you're, 
you go to stress or security, but it's really according to what level of health you are at. So I think I was kind of falling down the levels of health, but realizing, you know, I can't just sit at home and be in my nineness. And so I really went out to actually my threeness a lot more. I got cold and focused. I never shed one tear. I was like, I became a machine and I was like, we will find her. I made copies and posted all, I ended up posting 45 like lost and found posters. I mean, within probably six hours kind of thing. Like I had had them printed and it was just very interesting to notice how I went into action mode. Yeah, you went into action and you were anticipating success. Like there is going to be a good ending, like that threes optimism. I love that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it really was interesting. I did not have any of the six. I mean, I, yes, of course I could go there, but I was like, no, not going to go there. I'm just, we're just going to use our energy to find her. You cracked me up. You said I became a machine. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I did. And then how we know animals help to heal parts of us. Um, I'm a cat owner, so we have three cats. So I'm a little bit of the crazy cat lady, but how has Cookie helped to heal parts of you? Oh, what a good question. Um, Cookie helps me to just stay present because she's just, you know, chilling out, doing life. And interestingly enough, um, bless her heart. I think Cookie has some anxieties. She's, she's a little bit shy. She's a little bit of a mama's girl. And, um, I don't like to acknowledge, but I have a lot of anxieties as well and stuff. And so I think being gentle with her helps me to remember to be gentle with myself of, okay, she doesn't want to go out and meet all those other people, other dogs. And that's okay. Like we can accommodating to her reminds me, Hey, Emily, you can be softer on yourself too. You know? Yeah. And one more fun question about Cookie. If you had to give Cookie an Enneagram number, what Enneagram number would you give Cookie? <laughs> Bless her heart, but I think Cookie's a six. I, I at first I was like, I think she's a nine, but I think I think she's a six. She um she has a lot of um uh, a, a little trepid about different things and um, but once she trusts like in fact, I, I took her on a doggy play date a while ago and I told the person, I was like, we're going to have to play like four times before she's actually like really herself playing. And sure enough, after the fourth time, the other owner was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this side of Cookie. So it just takes her a little bit of time to warm up to things. Oh, I love that. I love that. All right, well, let me ask you about your meditative practices in your life. I know you have several. So could you tell us a little bit about what your meditation practice looks like and and, and just why is that a gift in your life for you and probably for those around you? Yes, yes. Um, So I, I never do the same thing twice in a, you know, day to day, but I kind of have a handful of things I'm always just picking up, putting down. Um, thankfully for Cookie, she forces me to go on a walk every morning because she wants to go on a walk. So I always end up doing some type of nature walk and I make a point to not be on the phone, to not listen to a podcast. I just really try to just be present in nature. Um, trying to listen to the birds really helps me because it, it's like I'm focusing on something Um, but it's not my thoughts. So that's a helpful thing I do. 
Um, I sometimes wake up in the morning and before I even go out to the kitchen, I, I just try to stretch and just let my body move however it wants to move. So I don't, I'm almost trying to just let it all go. Um, and just really stretching out some of what's going on in my mind. Those are a few things. Um, I have two kids, 14 and 11, and, you know, it's towards the end of school year, it gets busy, all that kind of stuff. And so I was recently talking to a spiritual director and I was very stressed, um, a little bit more in my sixth space of all the things that I, that needed to get done. And she made a comment that really sat with me. She said, Emily, you're right. You have a lot of external um, busyness. She said, but I'm also hearing a lot of internal busyness. And she said, you can be externally busy and be internally calm, but right now you're not, which is why you're feeling so frantic. And so she encouraged me to um, do some centering prayer, which I had not done before, but I did that. I started that probably about a month ago. And I have been really amazed how just that centering prayer has really um, helped me calm down my insides because I can't calm down the outsides. Sure, sure. So in yoga, we say once you do your practice, whether it's meditative or physical, what, what you get to notice is how you are relaxed and alert at the same time, how you can be focused and present without being, you know, asleep. You can be aware of who you are, where you are, very much awake, relaxed, and focused. So that sounds like exactly what you're doing. It takes work. It's not an easy task, but it sure is very helpful. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. So I know that you are a self-preservation nine. Um, so tell me a little bit more about how you stumbled on the Enneagram, um, how you discovered that you're a nine, and then how it's helping you to grow and transform. Big question. Yes. <laughs> a lot, yeah, a lot of things. Um, I've always loved personality tools. I anything that helps me understand myself better and helps other people that helps me understand other people better. So DISC, Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finders, all of those kinds of things. And then I had picked up the wisdom of the Enneagram years and years ago, and I was just overwhelmed. It was so big, um, I, I put it right back down. And then when The Road Back to You came out with Suzanne Stabile and Ian Cron, that's when it, it um, I, don't know, I can't think of even the word. I, I could understand it a little bit more bite-sized, more... Um, easy to understand. And so that's how I got, I'd say, really into the Enneagram. And then with um, all the podcasts that were around, I started taking all of these notes. I would listen to all of these podcasts about the Enneagram and just take notes for myself of how these people, um, you know, shared how they see the world. Uh, so that's how I got into the Enneagram. Um, what it has done for me is, I mean, it's honestly changed my life really. I mean, I always say like that was the point of transition for me because I finally felt like, as we all say, we had words to describe what we do. We finally were aware of what we did. You know, I think prior to that, we just, we were just mm -hmm. doing our lives kind of thing. Um, that's something I'm really passionate about is help because the first year I knew the, I learned the Enneagram. I just thought it was fun information. Like, oh, this is interesting. 
it was not until a year into learning the Enneagram that I learned that it was actually for transformation. And that's when I really started to say, oh, okay, so I'm supposed to learn about it, notice it, and then pause and sometimes make a different choice. And that's when I really mm-hmm. started to kind of push myself to make different choices outside of my comfort zone, outside of my typical nineness. And that's when I really, really started to experience the growth. Mm. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about how it has transformed you? I think that's an excellent word for the Enneagram. It's more than just you are a nine and you want to stay in your nine box. It's like you are nine and we celebrate that, but let's also move into all nine numbers and, and, you know, transform and, and the Enneagram gives you this pathway to do that through the arrows, through the wings, through the subtypes. So tell me a little bit about how it's been transformational for you. Yes. You just said one thing that I love that I'd love to um, focus in on is that I was recently teaching a class and afterwards somebody said, wow, I didn't know that I could pull from all the numbers. They said, I thought I was one number and then that's it. They said, you really helped me to understand like, oh, I have a choice in this. And I have all the, I have one main type, but I have all the types within me. And now that I'm aware of it, I can pull from other types when I feel like that. So I think that's a great thing to point out. And then how I've seen it in my life is, um, well, funny enough, when I first learned the Enneagram, I did not think I had any anger. I was like, I don't have any anger. I don't know why they keep talking about this anger thing. <laughs> it shows just how asleep I was to things. Um, and then I started to notice, oh, wow. You know, I always have these dreams that I'm really mad at people. And then I finally put two and two together. Like, oh, the dreams are my anger. And I've been pushing it down for so long that it's coming out through my dreams. And so as I um, became more aware of the anger and tried to actually lean into it and have better boundaries, my dreams, you know, went back to normal basically. Um, So along those lines of transformation, a big thing I encourage people to do is start to learn your red flags. So for you, what is your red flag? So for instance, for me, When I start having dreams where I'm yelling at people, that is an immediate red flag to me that I've been pushing down some anger and I might need to, to, you know, state my needs or different things like that. Um, I know we might talk about a little bit, but also where you notice the tension in your body. That's a big red flag for me of when my shoulders are tight or my lower back is tight. That is a, another big red flag. Um, But along the lines of transformation, I always say, you know, it's not like um, you're never going to have problems again, but you're going to catch yourself earlier with those red flags, and then you're going to recover faster. Um, So recently, you know, it's two kids, busy life, all this kind of thing. And my husband and I were kind of, I, I could, I noticed, I caught ourselves early, like, oh, we're kind of drifting apart because he was really busy at work. And in my nineness, when he gets busy, I start to withdraw because I think, oh, you know, well, for a variety of reasons that, of course, I've analyzed. But, um, but I was able to pause and say, "Whoa, Emily, he's busy and you're withdrawing. This does not end well." Um, so I was able to reach out to him, and he, thankfully, he is working on himself as well. And we both 
leaned into each other rather than uh, pulled away, which used to be our typical pattern. And we both, I, I, I told us, I was like, I think we need to give ourselves a pat on the back. Like we had one day of pull apartness when in the past it could have been a week or two weeks, which ended in, you know, me crying after two weeks or something. And instead, after one day, we recovered. Wow. And what is his type? Your husband? He is a, he's a self-prince three. Oh, very uh, interesting. So we, we do not like conflict. It is very hard for us to ever um, surface any problems because we, we well, one, we don't want conflict. Two, we're both really nice. And so we're very, I had a friend, we went on a beach vacation one time with some friends and she was the one that pointed this out. She said, you and your husband are so polite to each other. And I had never thought about it, but like we are, it, it, we're, we're both very nice, but then the problem is we don't, neither of us really speak our needs because we want to be thoughtful and don't hurt the other's feelings and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I get that. I'm married to a three and some a two married to a three and we can do a lot of that as well. But then the anger is kind of lurking in the belly. But um, yeah, I love that. I also love that it's a three married to a nine because Kat and I have noticed so often how people will marry their wings or their, their, they will marry their arrows because there's that understanding of the other. And so that's just another example of that. We were actually talking about that right before we, uh, you know, got on with you to do this episode. But I think that that's fascinating that it's another example of a, you know, a nine married to a three. You understand one another. You share that line, that arrow of connection. So. Well, and along those lines, you're exactly right that we do share that. But I have also seen it in my marriage and in other couples that it's also funny because it's like we have our identities or where we think is our turf. And then when the other, when, when the other goes into your zone through the lines, it's kind of like, whoa, this is my zone. What, what I yes. especially see this with twos and eights, like when an eight goes into their two space and the, the two kind of likes it, but they're also like, wait, I'm the thoughtful, caring one. And now you're being all thoughtful, caring. Like this is my role here. It's, it's kind of interesting. That's a great example. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. Um, thank you. Well, Annalie, let me shift gears a little bit and ask you about your work at the South Southeastern International Enneagram Association. I know you're on their board. Could you please tell us and our listeners a little bit about the association, the work it does, how you got involved, and, and just, just the events that you guys are putting on? Yes. Yeah. It is such a great organization. So um, there is the overall global organization called the International Enneagram Association. And I share that because I did not know about it until somebody else, um, you know, shared it with me, but there's the International Enneagram Association. And then they have a few chapters or now called affiliates within the United States and then throughout the world as well. And um, so our group, it used to be uh, the Georgia chapter, and now we have expanded to the Southeast. So it is um, the South, the Southeast USA chapter of the IEA, because there are other Southeasts within the world. And um, we put on monthly meetings. They used to be in person, but now since COVID, they are all on Zoom. And we cover just 
all Enneagram topics. We have different speakers come in. Uh, recently, we've talked about what where each type goes in stress. We're about to talk about where each type goes in security, um, focus of attention, orientation to time, the inner critic, different things like that. And um, because obviously your podcast is everywhere, I would encourage anyone to learn more about any IEA organization um, because after COVID, so many are also on Zoom. So, you know, we have members from Oregon that are members of the IEA Southeast USA, just because they found a community. And I think Suzanne Stabile is the one that says, you know, the Enneagram is solitary work that you cannot do alone. And that's our big focus is to create community and safe spaces where people, we, we always want to be so welcoming that if you, you know, still don't even quite understand what the Enneagram is, come join us. If you are an expert level teacher, come join us. We want everyone to be there. And it's really fun because as you know, when we all want to geek out on the Enneagram, it's a whole community of people that want to talk about it as much as uh, your listeners might want to talk about it. So it's really fun um, to get to know other people through that avenue. That is great. How long have you been affiliated with them? How long have you worked with them? Yes. So it's a volunteer board. And I, I think I've been on the board about four or five years now. It's such a nice group of people. Um, interestingly, it's also because I'm self-pres dominant and um, social blind, social is my blind spot. And so it has been a good growth strategy for me to stay involved. Um, but when they happened to ask me, I had never served on a board before. I had no, bless their hearts, because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I've learned a lot over the years and they've been very patient about it. But um, I, I stay on the board because I believe in what they do. I love the people that I'm on the board with, but also as a way to lean into what is not my natural inclination or focus of attention through the instincts and think more of the community and the group and the social structure. Yeah, and I, I also think that because of the pandemic, um, social has become a blind spot for a lot of us, even if it's not our blind spot. And when she's talking about blind spot, we're talking about stacking the subtypes. So there's the sexual or one-to-one -one subtype, there's the self-preservation subtype, and then the social. And you can stack those. And the one at the bottom is your blind spot. And that's one that you need to do a lot of work with um, so that you can do that transformation and healing. But because of the pandemic, a lot of us have not been as engaged in community and we're trying to find our way back. And I know that's true for me. I feel like I really pulled away from community, got really comfortable being alone. Um, and so I'm having to work at the social piece, even though that's my second one in the stack. Um, I'm, I'm sexual and then social and then self-press um, is my order. But I, I have learned that Ooh, I have really pulled away from community. That's something that's part of my emotional work right now um, is to find my way back. So yeah, a community is imperative for transformation. So this would be a great place for our listeners to kind of dive in and find a community. So you can just Google it. It's the Southeastern International Enneagram Association. So just type that into Google and you'll find out more about their workshop at like Kat said, kudos to you for serving on that board for so long. It's been fun. Awesome. 
Awesome. Well, I know you have an Enneagram coaching business. So tell me a little bit about what you do as a coach, your business, uh, what kind of work you like to do with your clients and even your website so people can find you. Yes. Yeah. So what happened is I started off teaching the Enneagram to groups, often of women, about 10 to 15 people for a six week class. And then after COVID, I or as COVID started, actually, I pivoted to Zoom and I don't love Zoom classes quite as much. So I pivoted to one-on-one individual sessions. And that has been wonderful. That's what I love to do because it goes back to the transformation. I really like to see people experience that transformation. And uh, part of the benefit of doing these sessions, usually weekly or every 10 to 14 days, is that when you have something on the calendar, you are more, you your brain stays more aware of noticing things because my clients know that at the beginning of each call, I'm going to say, well, has anything come up or have you noticed anything since we last met? And so they all say, oh, because I knew I was going to meet with you, I've kept my eyes open to look for different Enneagram things. So I teach people um, about all the aspects of the Enneagram of um, orientation to time, repressed centers, stances, levels of health, all of those kinds of things. And they're just so many aha moments. But I used to just teach people all of those things and then say, okay, that's it. We're done. Like, I don't have anything else to teach you. And they'd say, well, I want more. I want to, you know, keep growing and learning. And so I am now a certified life coach as well, or personal development coach, because when I figured teach people all the basics of the Enneagram and all the aspects of it for about five or six sessions. And then for another five or six sessions, we can pivot to coaching. And the difference between my teaching and my coaching is that, well, when I'm teaching, I really am trying to make sure they understand the concept and, and see where it applies in their life. But then when I kind of change hats and become a coach, that really is helping them um, look towards their future. How do they want their life to look like? And what self-defeating habits or um, focuses of attention have they noticed that have been holding them back? And how do they want to help let go of the grip those things have on them? So when I'm coaching, it's really 80% them talking and only about 20% me talking And really my talking is asking questions to help them dig deeper and uncover uh, maybe some mindsets that might not be helping them as much or different beliefs and just kind of bring them out into the light and then they can examine them and decide, well, is that mindset helping me or do I want to kind of uh, try something else out? Well, that's a perfect segue to my next question, but I'm going to tell you a story before I ask it. So um, in yoga, you do a lot of teacher training and one of my teacher training, um, I was fortunate enough to train with sort of like the top echelon of yoga teachers. His name is Leslie Kamenoff. He's anatomy genius and done yoga for 250 years. And we're sitting all around, there's a bunch of teachers in the room and everybody's super serious because, you know, he is a real deal and done it for, you know, a billion years. And somebody asked him a question, well, Leslie, how do you feel about all these different yoga uh, practices that are popping up? There's booty yoga and goat yoga and bridal shower yoga, kind of like 
really just whack, don't you think? And he said, you know what I think? I think you should respect the lineage and the history. But if you connect to yoga through booty yoga practice, I'm fine with that. Or if goat yoga is what brings you to a yoga practice to start with, why the hell not? Because how you enter, it doesn't really matter. If you stick with it, then you have got to really study and learn and respect and, and go deep and dive deep. But as far as how you connect to it, it's not, you know, there's not wrong way to do it. And I feel the same way about Enneagram because, you know, if you're connected to social media, I think you could, you know, if the algorithms are right, you could be bombarded with memes about, uh, you know, Enneagram and little snippets. And it kind of feels surfacey at times. And then I think, well, you know, if that catches people's attention to sort of get curious about Enneagram, why not? So what I want to ask you about is, I know Enneagram could come off as, you know, memes and little fun posts and videos, but what is it about that can take you deeper to the knowledge of your ego, to the knowledge of your motivations, your fears, um, and just grow those parts of yourself that are so much deeper below the surface? Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that story and that question. Um, an image I use in all of my classes is kind of a cross-section of an iceberg and the idea that, you know, what's above the waterline is our behavior, but then what's under the waterline is our thoughts, beliefs, values, and motivations. And I always say, you know, what shipwrecked the Titanic was not, they saw the iceberg. They knew that they were going through water that was covered with icebergs but they did not acknowledge how deep and how wide the icebergs were underneath. And that's kind of where I see the, um, the tipping point for people might start off with Instagram memes and funny jokes. And that's kind of the behavior that they're seeing above the waterline. And you're exactly right. If that's what helps get them into it for a while, that's great. But it's what, what's shipwrecking them over and over again. Well, their behavior is shipwrecking them because They've not taken into account how their thoughts, beliefs, values, and motivations are impacting their behavior. And it, um, a, a phrase I love is the only two things you need to learn the Enneagram are a sense of curiosity and a sense of humor. And I, I think that's it because it, we all agree, it can feel a little uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable when you're first mm -hmm. learning about these things. But if you can look at it with a sense of curiosity and really that sense of humor of to be able to kind of laugh. And I always tell people, um, said, first of all, we all have an Enneagram type. So even if you feel like yours is the worst, there are eight other types that are probably feeling like theirs is pretty yuck too at times. Um, and you're not stuck there. It, you know, yes, we've identified some things, but now we've identified how you can grow out of it. So I just always like to be really compassionate when people are figuring out their Enneagram type that it's going to feel yucky and you're not stuck there. It's okay. Um, and, and I always do laugh like everybody, your friends. So for instance, me as a nine, when I first learned about being a nine and I thought, oh my gosh, all these people know this about me. I thought I had been hiding it well of, um, that I kind of zone out in conversations or I was used to always be late or I would never respond to emails and stuff. Um, 
And now I can laugh and be like, wow, they know I'm like that. And they still have loved me through all these years. If, does that make sense? Yes, I love that answer. And I love the, the comparison to the Titanic and the iceberg, specifically behaviors that are the tip that is so visible and so pronounced, but what is underneath is so vast and so just, just important. More, more so important than what we show, just that little snippet of our behavior. I love that. Thank you. Yes, yes. And I, I try. If it's like four o'clock on a Friday and I'm stuck in Atlanta traffic, it's a little bit harder. But I try to remember that everyone is an iceberg as well, meaning I'm seeing what's on the surface, but who knows what childhood stuff they have going on, what, um, what happens behind closed doors, what pressures they have going on in their mind. And there's a lot of other stuff going on for everyone as well. Yeah. yeah. And that's important too, because we're so tempted to say, oh, this is your Enneagram number, but we don't know what's lurking beneath the surface. And we don't know their core motivations and their fears and their childhood wounds, like you said. And so we have to be really careful with, with what we see may not may not be the actuality and especially with your your arrows because somebody may look like a three but they may actually be a nine or a six and it depends on how much emotional work they've been doing and so many things so being really careful but I love that idea too of curiosity humor and I also heard you mention compassion as well and I think that those are just the really important things to bring when you're looking at the Enneagram curiosity compassion and humor. So I, I love that. That's, that's good stuff, Emily. Um, well, when I asked you what you wanted to talk about for uh, this podcast episode, you said embodiment. And I was like, really excited about that. Because, you know, as, as yoga professionals, we're all about helping people to move into their body. So what we're going to do is look at each of the numbers and how they could be more embodied. And we're going to start with your triad and also yours, Emily. We're going to start with the anger triad, the gut, the instinctual triad. Um, so looking at eight, nine, and one. Um, and, and I'd love, Kat, if you could tell us a little bit about, since you're in the body triad and, and all of us can uh, share our insights, but what do you think the eight, nine, and one could do to enter more fully into their body? And Emily, you chime in as well, because you guys are both in that triad. <clears throat> Emily, do you have any thoughts about the nine? Oh, for, well, I have trouble differentiating if it's, if these are nine thoughts or just triad thoughts, but, um, I definitely think stillness, um, in fact, in preparation for this, I did refer back to the sacred Enneagram by Chris Hewitt's, uh, because stillness, I think being in that doing triad, stillness is so important because even though I'm a nine, you know, people talk about sloth. We all know that that's really falling asleep to yourself. It's not actual slothful behavior, but, um, being still is actually really hard for me. I'm, I'm usually always on the go. And I can be in silence and I can be in solitude. In fact, I love silence and solitude, but stillness is what's really hard for me. And so um, getting into my body is what helps me to get still and, you know, really doing a sensing practice and slowly check doing check-ins with my body. 
uh, really helps. And often, I think especially being a female and being in the gut triad, I really like to take my focus of attention down into my pelvic region that, um, I don't know, there's just something about that for me that, uh, that feels very powerful. Um, it actually is kind of how you said relaxed and focused. It, it's kind of like, that is good power in my pelvic region when I can, um, kind of take my focus down to there versus busy, kind of frantic, busy energy of doing all the time when I can get into that stillness there. It's a, a powerful thing. For our meditative moment, I would like to offer some somatic practices for each of the nine numbers that could help them on this journey of moving towards wholeness. So for the type one, the perfectionist, letting go is paramount. And so just a simple breathing exercise of finding your inhale and saying let on the inhale and then on your exhale go can be very healing. Of course, ones need to let go of anger, the need to be right, high expectations of others. And so just thinking as you do this breathing exercise of inhale, let, exhale, go. What is it that you need to let go of? Sometimes I think you can also pair that mantra of inhale, let, exhale, go with palm tree, which is a wonderful yoga pose where you just swing your arms from side to side and soften your knees So you can look up that pose, but it's called palm tree. And so you could pair the breath with palm tree and just practice letting go of some things. I think that would be a great practice for the type one. For the type two, uh, I often have said this on the podcast, but any pose where you can receive or where you can be introspective because twos are helpers. And so they're always offering from their cup, but they need to find a way to fill their cup, to receive, even to be humble. That is the spiritual virtue that the two needs is to be humble and to be humble, to realize that they only have so much that they can give and do, that they are not a superman or a superwoman. And so that could be any pose. It could be Shavasana. It could be a seated meditation. It could be a child's pose. Just what is going to allow you to go inward or to receive as a type two. And so that could be a somatic practice that could really help you. Likewise, for the three, it is similar. Threes are doers. Uh, We often say for the three, you are a human being, not a human doing. And so constructive rest pose is a wonderful pose. That's a pose where you're on your back and your knees are bent and your feet can be as far as the edge of the mat so your feet are on the edge of the mat or at least towards it and then the knees just fall in towards one another and you just get to rest and breathe and that is a wonderful somatic practice or embodied practice for a type three the next one i we have had carrie marino on our podcast before i definitely encourage you to check out some of her podcasts if you have not 
listen to them. I think we did two or three episodes with her. And she introduced me in a workshop to a pose called Breath of Joy. I would encourage you, it's a little bit more complicated, but I recommend this practice for the type four because this Breath of Joy practice is like a three-part breath and it involves some movement. And I think the movement is very activating for the four, which can help them to move towards like you can do hard things or that Nike motto of just do it. Um, So that breath of joy also can activate the gratitude and the joy that the fours need because as you know, they tend to get stuck in sort of that victim mentality and things are sad and things are hard. But gratitude is a real challenge to them, but it's something that they need spiritually and emotionally. And so I encourage you to look that up. So it's called Breath of Joy. Um, Again, it's a little complicated to explain, but you can just Google it. It's on, there's some videos of the Breath of Joy on YouTube. And I think that would be a really great practice for a type four. For the type five, I would encourage the fives to go out and take a mindful walk. We know the Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh was a real practitioner and advocate for mindful walking and for the five when you can just go outside and be slow and just notice with your senses the world around you. I think Thich Nhat Hanh said walk like you're kissing the earth with your feet. That is a somatic practice that really helps the five because they need to engage in the world. They need to, instead of just being in their head and their mind, to have that connection to the world around them and to other people by taking a walk, I think can be a really great practice for all of us, but especially for the five, which is um, known as the observer or the investigator. So the type six, which is our loyalist or our team player, the somatic practice that I'd like to offer for them is a very simple one but it's um, you're going to inhale maybe to the count of three and then you're going to double the breath for the exhale because that really calms the parasympathetic nervous system so it takes the six out of the nervousness and the anxiety and brings that sense of calm so anytime that your your exhale is longer than your inhale that can be really calming to the body so it doesn't matter how long that is like it might be that you inhale to the count of three or four and then you exhale to the count of six or eight depending on what your inhale was but your your inhale is going to be a little shorter and your exhale is going to be maybe about double the count of your inhale And so I would just recommend that for our type six, for our type seven, we've talked about this before, but grounding is so important. The root chakra is so important to the type seven, putting two feet on the earth. Um, For that reason, body scans are great for the seven, but it could just be an earthing practice where you're just outside with, you know, no shoes, your feet are grounded to the earth and you're breathing and sitting in some sort of meditation outside 
with your feet on the earth i think that's a great practice for the seven and for all of us and again the sevens are adventure uh, our enthusiasts we sometimes call the seven and then our type eight this is just a simple practice of breath but i think for the type eight to connect with our heart space maybe by inviting one palm to touch their heart and then just breathing inhale from the belly button all the way up to the top of the chest and then exhale send the breath back down towards the belly i think that that simple practice of just breathing with your hand to your heart is going to connect you to uh, a softer space as an eight but also to your heart space and i think connecting to your heart and softening is imperative for an eight and then for our nine this may seem really different but what i would advocate for the nine is to hum because it is very activating to your throat chakra and uh so just hum and you know the one of the songs that i really like for that humming his beautiful chorus has a song called Faith's Hymn. So if you have Spotify or another place that you get your music, just type in Faith's Hymn and hum along to that. That's a great song to hum to, but it could be just humming on your own without music. You certainly can just do your favorite song and go for it and hum, but that I think that'll help to empower the nine to have more of a voice. So those are some somatic practices that I wanted to offer for each of the nine types. Thanks again for listening to the Enneagram Plus Yoga podcast. We really appreciate our listeners.